Thank you, and once again, good morning to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our lesson this week is taken from the theological discussion to deal with the humanity of Christ. We've talked about the Lord Jesus Christ now in several broadcasts, and as we've mentioned before, our broadcast throughout this next uh, few weeks will deal with this primary subject of Christology. Now, in previous broadcasts, we have discussed thoroughly from the scriptural standpoint the Bible teaching on the relationship of the Son to the Father, the Bible teaching on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially the virgin birth of Christ and the prophecies concerning the life of Christ. These subjects all properly belong to that discipline which we call Christology, or the study of Christ in the Scriptures. And as we have said before in these broadcasts, and probably shall have to say many times again, these discussions on the theological seminar of the air are dealing with Bible truth and Bible doctrine where the Bible teaches itself and comments on its own text. Our conviction, of course, is the conviction of Martin Luther that the best commentary on the Scriptures are the Scriptures themselves, and they operate with this viewpoint in mind. The Theological Seminar of the Air is not a partisan broadcast that is designed to convince you of anything, but to give you what the Scriptures say about the Scriptures. And again, there will no, be no piecemeal effort on the part of a broadcaster or on the part of the station you're listening to to try to convince you of the rightness or wrongness of any particular group. For these lessons here will cover hundreds of broadcasts. As a matter of fact, we've just had 12 broadcasts on God the Father and the Theology. We've covered here about eight broadcasts on the Christology. We still have about uh, 30 broadcasts on the uh, subject of Christology, 16 on the subject of pneumatology, six on the Bible, five uh, series, which will come to 30 minutes apiece, making 10 broadcasts in all, on lessons about uh, man creation, 16 broadcasts on angelology and demonology, 28 broadcasts on soteriology, and then at least 50 broadcasts on practical Christian living. So the Theological Seminar of the Air is designed to teach you the Word of God in the context of what the Bible says about itself and not what it is presumed to teach. Anybody can go to the Bible and take out ten verses and put, print them on a track to try to prove a certain theological doctrinal viewpoint about something or other. It's a very favorite trick of the of various groups to print out a little piece of paper with about uh, four or five verses on it trying to prove a doctrinal position. Now, the plan of salvation can certainly be reduced to three or four verses, provided these verses are in the context in which they appear. But unfortunately, even on this basic subject on how to be saved, the tracts being published today throughout America have all kinds of foolishness on them. Like, for example, many of these tracts will quote Acts 2.38 as though it had something to do with the plan of salvation, which at the height of folly and the uttermost nonsense in view of what the Bible says about itself. Anybody who read the Bible would know that in Acts 2.38, you're dealing with a Pentecostal message of a circumcised, pork-abstaining, Sabbath-observing, temple-worshipping Jew on a Jewish feast day to Jewish Old Testament uh, people and Jewish Old Testament converts to Judaism who are all pork-abstaining, Sabbath-observing, temple-worshipping Jews. What a God-forsaken place to teach somebody how to get saved. And so in these broadcasts, we are not merely giving you four or five verses to prove a point. We're dealing with all the Scripture teaching, the entire Scripture teaching, on every major subject mentioned in the Scriptures. Our lesson today deals with the humanity of Jesus Christ. We'll be on this subject for this broadcast and sub the subsequent broadcast. The humanity of Christ. 
Now, on previous broadcasts, we have discussed thoroughly the matters of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there could be no doubt in anybody's mind who was an honest, intelligent man or half-rational that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. Now, I didn't say you had to believe that. Some of you people that are bigoted and have persecution complexes, you think every time somebody tells the truth, they're trying to expose your sin, or every time somebody tells the truth, they're trying to ram a doctrine down your throat. Uh, this is not in the least bit true. You can believe what you jolly well please to believe. That's one of the blessings of living in America, but until now, I say until now, there's been comparative freedom of belief. Unfortunately, when our present president was elected, a Baptist church was locked up in Georgia. A very significant omen, I suppose, of things to come, the handwriting on the wall. As far as I know, this was the first Baptist church that was ever locked up for political reasons in America since they began to whip Baptists up the pillory in Massachusetts and New England. Very significant. But we have a relative amount of human freedom in America, at least in regard to religious belief. Now, it is true there are some people, especially up north, that are bound by their church to believe certain things that aren't true. And when the church says one thing and the Bible says another, these people have to go by what their church says under mortal pain of going to hell. But, of course, this is a Dark Age relic that came through the medieval times through Europe and has nothing to do with real Americanism. You do not have to accept the deity of Jesus Christ. You can accept the deity of the devil if you want to. That's one of the blessings of democracy, friend. But don't tell us this. Don't tell us the Bible doesn't state it and give it and teach it when it does. And as I've said before, we've covered these matters very, very thoroughly. There couldn't be any possible mistake or doubt in your mind as to what the Bible says about these matters. Now, as to what you want to believe, we're not even discussing that. And as for what you think, we're not particularly interested. But as far as that go, we're not particularly interested in these broadcasts, what I think. What we're out here for in these broadcasts is what the Bibles say about these doctrines. The humanity of Christ. Now, in order to be the Savior, Jesus had not to be only divine or virgin-born, but he must also be a true man. He had to be like us in every respect except the matter of sinfulness. As a famous divine once said, God sent one man into this world without sin, but even he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. First Timothy 2.5 said, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, not the woman. Now, you see, immediately when we get into problems, if you are a gay liberator or a woman liberation uh, person, if you're one of these left-wing radicals dedicated to causes to overthrow the United States government and set up a world democracy, a federation of the United Nations under the Antichrist, you would probably deeply resent the Bible statement that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. You might say, God, she is black, or something cute, you know, that you found in Playboy or Lampoon. But it wouldn't amount to anything in a doctrinal broadcast dealing with truth because we are dealing here with what the Scriptures say. We're not dealing with what some nut thinks. The Scriptures say there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, you may not like that. Help yourself, condolences. That's what the book says. Now, if you want us to think that you're smarter than the book, then, of course, you're very foolish. But you have the liberty of being stupid, and if that's your liberty, why, take your liberty, friend. 
There is one God and one mediator, not two, between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus, not a woman. The Bible knows nothing about blessed Joseph, blessed Mary, blessed John the Baptist. All it knows is, Thou art my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Now, all nations and generations may call Mary blessed, but that had nothing to do with the verse. The verse said there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like unto us in order to be, quote, a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, Hebrews 2.17. The Lord Jesus Christ was born under the law that he might redeem us from the law, according to Galatians 3.13 and Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam, Christ, brought resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15.21-23. So in this lesson, we are going to present some of the proofs of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, in the Bible, Jesus Christ was given human names. In Matthew 1.21, we read, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's the name of a man. That's the name of a man. It means Jehovah saves, and it is the name of a man. It's not the name that's applied directly to God the Father. It's a name that's applied to a man, Jesus. First Timothy 2.5 said Jesus was the man, Christ Jesus. The phrase, Son of Man, occurs 77 times in the Gospels. 77 times the Gospels, you read the phrase, the Son of Man, proving he was not only God's Son, but the Son of Man, in the sense in which a man is born with flesh and blood, body and bones, who hungers and thirsts and eats and lives and sleeps and dies. Stephen, just before his death, saw the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, and called him the Son of Man. Now, this is the earthly designation of the Lord Jesus Christ in his messianic relationship to the nation of Israel. And careful readers of the New Testament will observe that not once does Paul ever refer to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of Man anywhere in a Pauline epistle. His term for Jesus is the Son of God, or the Lord, or the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. But not once in thirteen epistles does the Apostle Paul ever refer to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. And he gives his reason for doing this in 2 Corinthians, where he clearly states that though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth know we him no more. The born-again child of God is not occupied with the earthly ministry of a Jewish Messiah to the nation of Israel. The Christian is occupied with a risen Son of God at the right hand of the Father, who indwells his temple, the body of the believer, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was given human names. Number two, Jesus had a human ancestry. To get a kitten, you must have cat parents. For Jesus Christ to be human, he must have a human parent, which he had in the person of his mother, Mary. In Luke 2, 7, we read, And Mary brought forth her firstborn son. The other sons, after she gave birth to Jesus Christ, are listed, and their sisters are listed, in Mark chapter 6. But the firstborn son was Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4, verse 4, we read, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. And hence he's referred to as the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Jesus was born of the seed and lineage of David, according to Acts 13.23, where Luke said, 
of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. The human name of the human man sent as a Jewish Messiah to the nation of Israel. The genealogy in Matthew 1, verse 1 to 16, traces his ancestry from Abraham to Christ, and the genealogy in Luke chapter 3 traces his ancestry right clean back to Adam himself. In Hebrews 7, verse 14, we read, For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. He didn't come even from the tribe of Levi to be a Levitical priest. He came from the tribe of Judah as an ordinary Israelite, a human man born of flesh and bones, body, soul, and spirit, and came and wept. John 11, got thirsty. John 4, got tired, went to sleep in a boat. Mark 14, and eventually died and was buried. How say ye then that he was a spirit? How say ye then that he was a phantom? How say ye then that he was some kind of a, of a spiritual being that floated around and lit on people and left people? He was a man. And nothing could be any clearer than that from the Scripture. In speaking of the humanity of Christ, we observe that Jesus Christ possessed a physical nature. In John 1, 4, we read, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In Hebrews 2, 14, we read, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, flesh and blood. Did you get that? To not confess that Jesus Christ is a man is a mark of Antichrist, according to 1 John 4, 3. And the early Gnostic heretics in the church in the first and second centuries who thought that all matter was evil, and therefore Christ could not have had a physical body, but only a spiritual body, those demon-possessed agnostics who thought that everything that was spiritual was good, even the demons, oh yes, there's plenty that I'm not going to teach you in college, son, especially a Christian college. Those people who profess that meet the requirements of 1 John 4, 3, that says, quote, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. To test a demon-possessed person, ask this question, Has Jesus Christ come in the flesh? And they will answer with an emphatic no. The mark of the demonism in the New Testament and later is, they will not confess that Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. Now, do you know why this is so interesting? It's because this verse has been meddled with in all the new Bibles, and then the fact that God has been manifest in the flesh has been altered in all the new Bibles in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. Now, I'm going to say that again. I know many of you narrow-minded people are not uh, broad-minded enough to search the truth and test both sides of a thing, and your prejudice, which uh, assumes that because you've had 20 years of education, you're intelligent, you'll often fail to check facts. I would suggest that you take any translation of the market and look at 1 Timothy 3.16. And if your Bible does not say there that God was manifest in the flesh, you have picked up a Bible that 1 John 4.3 said was written by a demon. Now, I know that's very hard for some of you people who have been misled and deceived by foolishness and nonsense, especially by preachers and teachers and educators and things, but did you know sometimes an objective look at scientific fact that could hold up in a courtroom will sometimes straighten out a lot of nonsense for you? 
First John 4, 3 says, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, the one verse that's been attacked in every Bible in the market is 1 Timothy 3.16. And 1 Timothy 3.16 says that God was manifest in the flesh. And if your Bible doesn't say that, you have an Antichrist Bible for a Laodicean church period, no matter what fundamentalist recommended the trash to you. I mean, you know anything for a buck these days. In further speaking of the humanity of Jesus Christ, we notice that Jesus was subject to the laws of human development. That is, he grew. Now, nobody would be so unwise or so foolish as to think that God grows. I am the Lord, I change not, the Lord says to the nation of Israel. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. <coughs> God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. And God is spirit. That is, essential constitution of nature is spirit. God is spirit, and of course the King James reading is correct when it says God is a spirit in distinction from other spirits. To say that God is spirit alone is not to tell entirely the truth. After all, the devil is spirit too, and so are angels. Are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them and shall be of the salvation? So if you have a Bible that reads God is spirit instead of God is a spirit in John 4, you also have some old Antichrist trash that's being raised up for the last days to get the ecumenical magpie mess together. Well, Jesus grew. God doesn't grow. If he grew, then he was human. In Luke 2.40, we read, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. He asked questions. Do you think God has to ask any questions? In Luke 2.46, we read, It came to pass after three days. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. That is, in all the Bibles of Jesus Christ increased in wisdom. In Luke 2.52 we read, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. He learned obedience. In Hebrews 5.8, Though he, Jesus, were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. Now you tell me how God can learn anything. Would you tell me that? Why, of course God can't learn anything. In our lessons on theology proper and dealing with the attributes of God, especially the incommunicable attributes, we learn that God is not only omnipotent and omnipresent, but omniscient. God knows everything. The eye of the Lord everywhere, beholding the good and evil. There's no secret thing. There's no uh, cover of darkness where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Why, God doesn't have to learn. And yet we read he learned obedience. Now you see what we're getting into here? We're getting into the, the middle of the road that run between these two great heresies that have destroyed the body of Christ since the foundation of the New Testament. The first heresy is that since Christ did learn obedience, he did weep, he did get tired, he did suffer, that therefore he was just an ordinary man teaching a great truth and died for what he believed as a martyr, and that you should follow his teachings. That's the first blasphemous doctrine taught from the New Testament. The second blasphemy is that no, since he was God in the flesh and the Son of God, Therefore, he was God, all a God there was to be. Therefore, God is Jesus. God the Father is Jesus. God the Son is Jesus. God the Holy Spirit is Jesus. And there's nobody else but just Jesus. And that's perverted blasphemy, too. Now, you understand we don't say that with any malice toward anybody. When we say that, we say that with no feelings of hatred or compulsion towards anybody. 
Now, there's some religious fanatics in America who, if they said that, they'd place you under a curse and say, if any man doesn't believe such and such, let him be anathema. We're more broad-minded than that. We say, if any man doesn't believe that, it's his own business. Now, you see the difference? The broadcast these rascals want to get off the air are not the broadcast that tolerate other beliefs. No, that isn't it. They want to get the broadcast off the air that are intolerant of other people's beliefs. And in order to do this, they want to get the broadcast off the air that actually tolerate falsehood, but mention it. And leave on the air the broadcasts that are intolerant of truth, but don't make an issue out of it. Now, you see what I mean, Jelly Bean? Do you get the drift, Snowball? Do you see how it goes? The broadcast these people want off the air are the broadcasts where falsehood is mentioned, identified, but a tolerant attitude is made toward people who don't believe the same. The ones are going to keep on are the ones that are dedicated to wiping out every voice of truth in this country, but don't mention the falsehood. It's subtle, isn't it? Now listen, Jesus Christ was not only God's Son, God manifest in the flesh, he was a human being. He suffered. Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Explain to me how he could be tempted when the Bible says in the book of James, God cannot be tempted, neither tempts he any man. Now, if God can't be tempted, how do you explain the temptation in Luke 4 and Matthew 4? Why, there's no way in the world except to recognize the ultimate fact of Christology that Jesus Christ was a man. You say also God? Yes. You say, I can't understand it. The book didn't say you would understand it. The book said, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Now, if a saved person can't understand it, do you think an unsaved person can understand it? Here's a being who came down to this earth who was not a superman or an astronaut or a humanoid or a demiurge or a Lemurian or a Dero or something else that some nut thought up in a pipe dream or got in a flying saucer and went around the earth a couple of times and went in the center and thought he was in Mars when he came out. No, there's nothing of this kind going on here, Sonny. What's going on here is God, the one that, the creator, the one that made the universe, came down here as a man and returned. Now, that's what's going on. You said, I don't believe it. Okay, you don't have to. Nobody's trying to cram anything down your throat. You just imagine that because you have a persecution complex. You think somebody's trying to drive it down your throat because they're telling you what the book said. And the book said God was manifest in the flesh, and it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. He was a man. And no fact is more clearly established in the Word of God, outside the, of the deity of Christ, in the fact that he was a human being who bled, suffered, and died as a human being. And bless your soul, that's why I can save human beings. Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on thy behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands, before the throne my surety stands. My name is written 
in his hands. Amazing grace, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's home above, so free, so infinite was his grace, and emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing grace, how can it be? For, oh, my God, it found out me. Now, do you understand that? Jesus Christ was not only the Lord God of glory, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the second person, the Godhead. He was a human being with toenails. He stood in the Sea of Galilee, and the wet wave lapped his bare feet. He had feelings as an ordinary person. It grieved him to be valued at the price of a female slave, thirty pieces of silver. He wept. He walked up and down the dusty road to this earth, trailing the robes of heaven in the dirt, and was treated like a renegade anarchist all his life. And even though all the stars up there trinkling in the vault of the Oriental midnight were but the robes wherewith he clasped the, the, the robes, the, the diamond bell, diamond jewel belt, wherewith he clasped the robes of his glory, yet at the same time he appeared this earth with a fisherman's towel around his waist to wipe dirty feet with. You understand? The cold bothered him, and the sun smote him, and thirst parched his throat, and hunger exhausted him. He looked up in the air and said, See that sun? I'll take that sun and turn it to sackcloth and ashes. Somebody said, Look at the moon. He said, I'll turn it to blood. Somebody said, Look at the stars. He said, I'll cast them down like an untimely fig tree casts off her leaves and figs. Somebody said, look at the storm out in the sea. He said, shut up and lie down. Somebody said, look at the earth. He said, I bear up the pillars of it. And then he said to a woman, I thirst. He was a man. He worked as a carpenter to the age of 30. In Mark 6, 3, we read, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph? His age as a man is given in Luke 3, 23. Why, Jesus was so human, so human that when he rose from the dead, he was mistaken for a gardener, and on this earth he was mistaken for a carpenter. Just like you see all the movies about the prince in disguise and the rich man as a beggar, you know, the plots are all taken from the King James Bible. After all, boys and girls, there are only 33 original plots, and they're all found in the King James Bible. And finally he was tempted. The temptation in Matthew chapter 4 show that he was not merely God manifest in the flesh, but a human being who could be tempted like you're tempted. And bless your soul, brother, if he couldn't be tempted, he couldn't save you because you're tempted. And if it wasn't a man, he couldn't save you because you're a man. And if he didn't have blood, he couldn't save you because you're a bloody being. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Five bleeding wounds he bears, he bore on Calvary's tree. They pour effectual prayers. They fervently plea for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Let not this ransom sinner die. May God help you to see it. He's born among cattle in poverty sore, living in meekness in Galilee's shore, dying in shame as the wicked one swore. Jesus, wonderful Lord, he is able to say to the uttermost, all them that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. May it be your joy and happiness today to trust him as your own personal, risen, living Savior. May the Lord bless you, and good day.